0: morning. In a 1952 documentary titled, A Two-Year-Old Girl Goes to Hospital, the psychoanalyst James Robinson demonstrated the damaging effects of leaving children in hospital wards without any parental contact. In the film, Laura, aged two, is admitted to hospital for eight days for a minor surgery. Following standard practices at the time, she's not able to see her parents for the duration of her stay. Without her mother, Laura becomes extremely upset. Despite the best efforts of nurses, doctors, and play ladies, she continues to cry for her mother and resist the attention of those who seek to comfort her. Too young to understand her mother's absence, the experience causes her visible distress. Over the eight days, Laura quietens down and appears to settle. She stops calling out and withdraws, clutching her teddy. On the surface, this new calm appears to be a case of adjusting to the new circumstances but when Laura is discharged and reunited with her mother she is noticeably standoffish and the confident trust she exhibited in her mother before being admitted is nowhere to be seen. See we were made to be in relationship And the experience of being forsaken or abandoned leaves deep wounds on our souls these deep wounds stunt us and they shape us they can produce the scar tissue of mistrust fear and shame maybe you know the experience all too well the betrayal of a best friend sharing the secrets you had entrusted to them. The unexpected death of a parent or sibling when you were just a child, a relationship you gave yourself completely in, hoping the person would stay with you forever, but they didn't. We, of course, live in a culture where people are regularly and repeatedly abandoning relationships, and the result of this is we keep hurting uh, other people and being hurt ourselves. And perhaps you felt this way with God. Perhaps you wanted Him to come through for you in a particular moment, but it didn't happen the way you hoped, and now you wonder whether God, if He even exists, has abandoned you as well. Well, Good Friday tells us that Jesus understands your experience of abandonment and forsakenness because He Himself was forsaken. Matthew tells us in his gospel, the gospel we were reading from, you might like to keep it open there in chapter 27, that in the final days before Jesus' crucifixion, one of His closest disciples, Judas, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. He tells us that the rest of the disciples, they also abandoned him in his hour of deepest need. And one of those disciples, Peter, who had brashly said that he would never forsake Jesus, is the primary example. The Jewish leaders whose prophecies and scriptures Jesus had come to fulfill, handed him over to, be, to Rome to be executed as a traitor. Oh yes, Jesus knew what it was like to be forsaken. And when we get to the moment of the crucifixion, Jesus is still being abandoned by those he came to save. The soldiers ridicule him and pretend to worship him. The chief priests and scribes mock him, And imply that God was never with him. And two bandits. Themselves under the sentence of death. For their own crimes. Yeah they also decide to heap insults upon him. And so as he dies on the hill called Golgotha. Jesus is alone. Utterly alone. But notice that in spite of all of this, when he cries out in verse 46, it's his experience of being forsaken and estranged by the Father that is his unbearable pain. So you'll never understand the meaning of the cross until you realize that the greatest burden Christ experienced was not the physical pain of the nails in his wrists or shins, not the torments of his enemies or the silence of his friends. No, it was the experience of being forsaken by God. And so this morning, as we remember Good Friday, I want us just to look at this one verse. I want us just to spend a few minutes reflecting on this cry of Jesus from the cross. My God, my God why have you forsaken me and as we do so i want us to see the why why is this experience of abandonment necessary and then i want us to see how that why for jesus ensures that god will never forsake those him So, why does Jesus need to experience this death in dereliction? We get a clue from verse 45 where we get a detail that for three hours in the middle of the day, darkness covered the land. You don't have to have much experience with the Bible to know that if something like this kind of darkness occurs, there's there's something up. But if you did know the old testament if you had read the old testament you would know that this kind of darkness is a sign of god's judgment the prophet amos in the eighth chapter talks about how god's going to judge the nation of israel and turn their temple songs into cries of wailing and as part of that judgment god says i will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight And in Isaiah, another prophet, uh, chapter 13, it says, See, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the earth a desolation, to completely destroy it and to destroy its sinners from it. And then it says, For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. See, darkness, and especially darkness in the middle of the day, tells us that Jesus is dying under the judgment of God. He's under the judgment of God because he stands in our place. This judgment is for sin. Jesus on the cross takes my sin, he takes your sin, and the sin of countless millions. It's the sin that catastrophically separates us from the love and presence of God, not just the wrong things we do, but the basic attitudes of our hearts which resist and reject God's rule. C.S. Lewis writes that fallen man or woman is not just an imperfect creature who needs improvement, he is a rebel who must lay down his arms. And the point is that every human being stands guilty under this judgment of God. We hate hearing this. Especially because we live in a culture that tells us constantly that we, you and I, have to decide what's right and wrong for us. We're told that guilt is not something objective, but it's just something you feel. And if you can stop feeling it, then... Then you'll be better off and so we hear don't let anyone make you feel guilty of course the logic breaks down a little bit when you are not the one doing the wrong but the one being wronged because if there's no objective guilt if right and wrong are simply asked to decide then what basis do we have to say that someone really has wronged us except for the fact that we simply just didn't like it and we all know that this is not really satisfactory when we've been hurt by others especially when we've been hurt in profound ways we desperately want to be able to say they should not have done that but do you see the tension We want one standard for ourselves and a different standard for other people. And that really reflects just how deeply we are trapped in the depths of sin because sin at its heart is taking the prerogative of judgment away from God and putting it on ourselves, saying that we should be the judge. But our judgment consistently leads to the place Where we pronounce ourselves innocent. And God will not allow it. His perfection cannot allow it. Jesus stands in the place where our sin takes us in the outer darkness of the judgment of God. That is where sin leads. He's forsaken because He is bearing our sin and that forsakenness is the bitterest of experiences. John Calvin, one theologian, puts it this way. He says, nothing is more dreadful than to feel that God, whose wrath is worse than a thousand deaths, is the judge over me. Jesus knows what's going on, of course. It's not a surprise to Him. It's not that he asked the question of God, why have you forsaken me? Because he thought his life was going in one direction and suddenly it took a turn that he never expected. No, he knew that he was going to the cross. He knew that this was the road that he must walk. He's deliberately chosen this path. He came to serve and not be served. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so it helps to know that this quotation in verse 46, this is the beginning of a psalm, a psalm that we read just a little bit earlier, Psalm 22. It's a psalm of David, written a thousand years before his death, and just remarkable that something could be written that far before Jesus, and yet, in a way that is, is, can only be inspired by the Holy Spirit, seems to be perfectly fitting of this moment. Jesus is mocked by all who see him, as the psalmist writes. His mouth is dried up, and in John's gospel we hear that Jesus cries out, I thirst. His clothes, the psalmist talks about them being divided, and Jesus' clothes are divided among the soldiers by the casting of lots. He cries out and receives no answer. But where the psalmist is apparently delivered from death, where he is on the brink of death and yet not killed, Jesus will be delivered only by going through it. Only by sinking into the depths of death and coming out the other side on that glorious reversal that we call Easter Day. See, Jesus is forsaken because he is bearing our sin, the weight of the world's evil, Well, if that's the case, if that's why it's necessary for him to experience this abandonment, then uh, the second thing I want us to reflect on for a few moments is, how does that why, how does Jesus being abandoned in that way, mean that God will never forsake those who put their hope in him? See, there are many paradoxes in the Easter story, and one of them is this. God had established a covenant with his Israel in the Old Testament, God had set up a way of relating which meant that if you obeyed God, He would never leave you. Of course, no one in the Old Testament, no Israelite ever fully fulfilled it except one, His name was Jesus. And yet, rather than not being forsaken, his perfectly obedience leads him to the place where he is abandoned. Why? Why does this happen? Why is it that Christ, who perfectly God, gets abandoned? Well, he does it so that you and I might not be abandoned by God as our sin rightfully deserves. He does it so that we might experience the forgiveness of God and his unfailing love, so that we might be brought into God's family forever to share and to have confidence that God is with us and that He is for us. See, what Good Friday tells us is that God will go to extreme lengths to mend a broken relationship. He will go to the cross to get you back. He will not let sin and evil and death have the last word. He will take on the guilt of the world's rejection in His own Son so that His enemies might become His friends. And that truth might be life-giving if you're somebody who has experienced forsakenness in one way or another. It gives hope to anyone who wonders whether God has abandoned them He has not abandoned you. He has not left you, despite the very real feelings in the moment. He has gone to great lengths to save you. And a sign that this truth has sunk deep into your soul will be that when you feel like you're in the deepest depths, when you feel like there is no way out, when you feel like God is nowhere to be seen, you won't walk away from faith, but you'll cry out in faith, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Because to cry out, my God, my God, is itself a cry of faith. It takes faith to cry that out. To know that God is still God, despite the fact that I don't feel His presence in that moment. But it might also be a life-giving truth if you've been keeping God at a distance. If you're not sure that He really could be there for you in a moment that you need Him, and not wanting to be hurt, you guard your heart from anything that could possibly break it. And whether you say that you trust in Him or not, you live your life as though it's up to you to take responsibility for everything. Friends, Jesus has walked the path of our sin to its bitter end of God-forsakenness. He's done it and taken it to the depths of death and even hell. He's done it so that you and I might be sure that He will never leave nor forsake us. And the more you get this, the more that you'll be able to live freely in response to Him out of love. The less you'll feel you need to protect yourself or keep a distance from God, and the more you'll be able to say that He has been with me in the deepest depths of my sin, and therefore He can be with me in everything that I'm going through. We're going to hear an uh, item that the band's going to play. And as they're coming up, I'm going to lead us in, some, in a time of prayer. And so why don't you bow your heads and let's pray. Father, as we reflect on the death of your dear son, Jesus as we reflect on your great love for us that was prepared to go to no end to bring us back into relationship with you. We give you praise. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you that Jesus experienced in that moment forsakenness so that we might not have to. Comfort us by your presence and remind us that you are always faithful to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.